Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to be interviewing Matt Scott of Cosmic. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So just to get started, uh, I'd love to hear from you, Matt. What does Cosmic do? What is your company all about? Yeah, so we're a social impact agency. Uh, Cosmic essentially helps nonprofits uh, raise more money and drive impact. We focus a lot on uh, their people, their process, their technology. Um, but at, at its core, we're sort of this outsourced team of highly specialized nonprofit professionals that can help an organization um, who's looking to really rapidly scale their revenue and impact, put in place the right kind of process to do that. Okay, so tell me a couple different specific functions of your company. I got marketing, maybe some finance. Could you kind of dive into the specifics of what you do? Yeah, totally. Uh, we're really similar to a digital marketing firm in that uh, we, you know, we do we do marketing, uh, we do paid media, we do copy, we do uh, analytics, um, things like that. But we also do on the technology side, CRM implementations and configurations. So like Salesforce um, or HubSpot implementations. So CRM, that means? Yeah, that's actually means a customer relationship management system. But there's actually a way to repurpose that. It's a tool that is used in the for-profit setting to help salespeople essentially keep track of all of the different touch points that they might have with a prospect or potential customer. But the nonprofits use it in order to keep track of, you know, what interests a donor, um, you know, when's the last time they visited your website? What email communications are they opening? Things like that. So yeah, it's repurposing a CRM basically for nonprofits um, to keep track of their donor communications. And the last piece of it, um, we talked a little bit about the technology, a little bit about kind of the uh, marketing. And then the last piece is, is fundraising. So we run fundraising campaigns for our clients. Sometimes those are online fundraising campaigns to promote giving monthly. Sometimes they are uh, peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns, which essentially is a, is a campaign where somebody might, you know, bike across the country and raise money for a charity that they really care about. So we kind of handle end-to-end management of that fundraising campaign for them. Cool. So basically what your company does is take care of getting the money to the nonprofit so that the nonprofit can work on, can focus on doing what they do. Am I understanding? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we're like their kind of outsourced uh, marketing and fundraising team. Yep. Cool. So could you tell me a little bit about kind of how many employees you have, what kind of things they do, what kind of roles people have in your company? Yeah, we have eight full-time employees. Um, Essentially, we're sort of playing all the different roles of specialists. So we have a copywriter, designer, paid media specialist, a technologist, strategist, project management. Um, And then we've got a couple of administrative people as well support our business. Mm -hmm. And essentially, uh, we, you know, we, we kind of have every individual specialty that is required in order to build an integrated marketing team. Um, A lot of our nonprofits don't have all of those specialties covered or don't have any of them covered. So we've kind of become this extension of their team. And that's the way that we staff. We staff against that kind of recurring need for an organization. So as CEO of this company, what are some things that you do on a daily basis? Mm. 
Wow, my job is evolving and changing um, as the organization grows. I focus more and more on our own business as opposed to you know our clients. But uh, my my job kind of spans from sales, uh, setting the vision and direction of our company. Um, I handle kind of account management of our larger clients. We, we think of our clients as like whales, tunas, and salmon, and our whales make up about 65% of our revenue. So myself and Bobby, a person on my team, um, we co-manage account, account management for that, uh, kind of group of customers. So I do that. And then also kind of serve as a subject matter expert when it comes to fundraising um, for nonprofits and a little bit of the technology as well. Cool. So are you involved in hiring new people? And if so, what kind of things do you look for when you're hiring new people? Yeah, definitely. Well, we've hired uh, four people this year, so um, which doesn't sound like a ton if you're a huge company, but we've effectively doubled our team size. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely take an active role in the hiring process. In terms of what we're looking for, you know, there's kind of these three buckets. One, do you have the technical skills to do the job? Um, if you don't have those skills, then the second bucket is, do you have the capacity to learn those skills? And what kind of support might you need in order to develop them? And then the last thing we look for is, are you a strong culture fit? And you pretty much have to pass two out of those three in order to advance to the next round of interviews. So we're looking for a combination of a strong culture fit and you know how to do the job or a strong culture fit and you don't know how to do the job, but you showcase um, curiosity and an ability to kind of learn, um, you know, and, and grow. So how would you describe the culture of your company? What are you looking for when you say culture fit? Mm, yeah, totally. Um, culture is so important at Cosmic. I, I actually worked at another organization called Team Rubicon and helped grow and scale that from a really small org into an international powerhouse and leader. And there we used to talk about how, you know, passion and enthusiasm uh, really kind of trumps um, skill and and that like culture is king. And so uh, or queen, I think queen is even better. So uh, at Cosmic, you know, how would I describe our culture? Well, we have we have our cultural principles that really highlight kind of how we conduct ourselves. Um, you know, we have five of them, but my favorite is the future belongs to the curious. And I think that's at the heart of what makes us successful. As consultants, we have to be fiercely curious. We have to be interested in continuously learning in identifying what's next for our industry um, and how are we going to be able to implement some of those kind of best practices for our nonprofit clients. So at the core, like you have to be a deeply curious person. Um, But yeah, I mean, I could go into all five of our cultural principles, but I think overall, like we are a wicked smart group of people who are super passionate about applying our skills, our talent, our time to helping nonprofits, um, you know, leverage best in class for profit tech to, to amplify social good. So we look for somebody who's motivated by, by having an impact, uh, being a part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of young people want. They want to know that they're doing something that matters. Yeah, I think that that's true. Um, And I think that that's one of the really exciting things about 
uh, our generation, you know, there's no shortage of problems to solve. And I think that it's important to work somewhere where, you know, you've got to make a living, you've got to pay your bills, but, um, but at the same time, you have to be passionate and you have to decide, determine like, how are you going to spend your life? How are you going to spend your life's work? And yeah, I think that's that, that you're right. Like a lot of, a lot of people coming out of college right now, um, what's really cool and hopeful is that they're really focused on that. So I wanted to ask while we're still talking about your company and what you're doing, what does it look like um, seeking out these new client relationships? Do these nonprofits, do they come to you? Are you out actively seeking them? What does that look like? Yeah. So about 95% of our clients are from direct referrals, meaning either partners that we have like Salesforce or Twilio or HubSpot or Fundraise, they refer us work um, or our active clients refer us work. That makes up the overall majority. Uh, We're very selective about who we work with. Um, One of our cultural principles is make time fly. So we really want to work with people that we enjoy being around. Um, So we're fortunate in that we're a bit selective about what projects we're working on and with whom we're working with. But the other way that we market is actually um, a lot of leads are generated from in-person conferences. We've created actually research. We did a research project that generated a lot of uh, sales qualified leads for us. So we essentially signed up for 150 nonprofit emails. Uh, we cataloged that entire process. We then made a contribution, a donation to each of those. We cataloged what that experience was like. Um, and we compiled all that research into these reports that we do outbound prospecting with. We send them out. Um, and then people download those reports and we, we, you know, we then follow up and um, essentially our sales cycle is a little bit different um, in that instead of selling, we just start consulting. So we book a free kind of strategy call and we get on the phone with our clients and we just start solving their problems. And that's usually how we end up becoming a long-term thought partner. Yeah. So I love that you said that you're able to be selective with the people that you're working with, especially since you're working with nonprofits. That's cool that you get to kind of choose the causes that speak to you. Um, and just to understand a little better, um, with that research project that you did, um, you basically you signed up for newsletters and made donations and like you acted as the donor so that then you could go back to the company or the nonprofit and just tell them what your experience was like as a donor and offer them kind of advice or solutions to make it better. Is that correct? Yeah, right. So we know that there are three KPIs, key performance indicators that drive online revenue for nonprofits. Those are website visits, um, average gift amount and conversion rate. So how many people come to your site, how many people actually make the donation out of the people who come to your site, and what is their average donation amount. And we know that um, one of the ways that an organization can increase, say, the conversion rate is by reducing friction. So friction is like, you know, you're, you probably do some online shopping, you know that uh, using digital wallet, for example, and being able to use Apple Pay or Google Pay to check out makes the process easier for you, like when you're purchasing food. Um, the problem is, is that most nonprofits don't have that technology. They don't actually 
you know, they're not as well funded as say Amazon. So one click checkout is not a reality for the Boys and Girls Club of Portland, right? <laughs> so we basically, with that in mind, we went to these organizations and exactly right. We said, as a donor, let's document what our experience is like. How are they positioning their value proposition? Um, in other words, you know, what are they doing better than anyone else? And how are they communicating that impact and positioning the donor as the hero in that story? Um, and we basically just documented what we found. Some of it's anecdotal and some of it's kind of very precise. Um, but ultimately, we came up with kind of here are recommendations that we that we would like to make based on what we observed. And you can see that what we're doing at the core is we're delivering value up front. So instead of, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of nonprofits, and frankly, a lot of job applicants do this really poorly. They talk all about themselves. And what you really want to do is you want to position the problem that you're solving for that person with whom you want to take action. So that's really at the core of what the research project was about was to try and deliver value upfront, solve a problem that they have and put in place easy steps that they could take to, to drive revenue and impact like really quickly. Yeah. I love what you said about providing the value upfront. It's not like you're like dangling a carrot out in front of them, like hire us and then we'll do this for you. You're just letting them taste it. Yeah, exactly. It always leads to more work. I mean, we take kind of a laddered approach to sales. So you know, we basically give away something for free. We generate a sales qualified lead. We then take a call. We deliver more value. We sell a single core offer. And that core offer is really value driven as well, but it's not so expensive that it takes too much time for someone to try and make a decision. Mm -hmm. And then you just keep delivering value, keep solving problems. And eventually they get to the point where they want to do a digital transformation with you. And that's really a high value contract for us. That's something that's going to keep our team working for multiple years. Mm -hmm. So that's, but you know, you can't go in like that. It's almost like you can't ask someone to marry you on the first date, you know, you got to kind of lead up to it. So that's basically the same process and the way that we approach sales. Love that. And I also liked earlier you kind of mentioned that job applicants tend to do this really poorly, this principle of um, providing value for that person who they're looking for the job from right up front. And I'm wondering what kind of thoughts you have, how a job applicant might apply these kind of principles in an interview, maybe. Yeah, totally. Um on one hand, I'm so excited that young people are passionate about having purpose-driven work. I mean, that's something I'm excited about. I'm trying to build a different kind of company. But also, like, it took a while to get here. I worked in this space for over 15 years, and I started at the very bottom. And I think people come in thinking that they're going to run the company, like, on the day, first day. And I think it's... I mean, this is sort of answering your question and sort of not, but like early on when you're first starting, it's really important to work somewhere that you're going to get to wear many hats and you're going to have an outsized amount of responsibility. So somewhere where you're going to be tasked with things that really, even though you graduated from college, say, and congratulations on that, it's a huge accomplishment, but it gets you in the door. It doesn't actually do anything. It teaches you how to critically think and critically read and critically write. But really the work experience is what's gonna draw, you know, really kind of contribute value to your company. So I think when you're 
marketing yourself, think about what problem is it that I could solve for this hiring manager? So chances are there's more to do than time to do it. That's why they need somebody to come in and take some things on. And I would be so intrigued if an applicant was like, you know, what are some things that you think I could do in the first 90 days to take something off of your plate that is time consuming or, uh, yeah, that pulls you away from higher value work? Wow. What a question, right? Like I've never been asked that question, but if I was asked that question, I would think this person is thinking about like the success of the team and Mm -hmm. is valuing me over them. And while I value the people that we hire over myself, it's really refreshing to have an applicant, especially a younger person with that kind of thoughtfulness and that kind of awareness that, you know, the world does not revolve around them. And I know that sounds, that can sound um, like I'm on a soapbox or something, you know, and, but uh, patronizing, but it's meant to really just be kind of a, a piece of advice is like, just put others before yourself. And if you do that, then others will put you before the company. And as a team, you'll be able to accomplish a lot more. Thank you so much for that question um, that you just gave us as something you could ask an interviewer, like, what can I take off of your plate in the first 90 days? Yeah. Yeah. I usually get asked questions like, I have a vacation plan. Can I take it? (laughs) Or, you know, what will my day look like? Or who will I be working with? Um, Those, you know, they're okay, but they're surface level. They have no depth. And to stand out, you want to have depth, you know? I mean, that's that's the trick. That's how you're going to get in, you know? And I think another really critical question that I would be asking if I were, you know, doing it over is, um, you know, what kinds of opportunities are there for me to have mentorship from, from you, if you're the hiring manager, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be a burden and I don't want to, I'm looking for opportunities. You know, if you pair that question with the question that we just posed, mm-hmm. that's really intriguing. Cause now you're offering up ways to take things off your plate, but you're also showing that you're futuristic and that you're invested in your own personal development and professional development. So that's, that's a pretty lethal combination. I feel like that would be a really standout applicant, you know, especially for somebody who doesn't really have that much work experience, which truth be told, you kind of don't when you're just graduating college, you know, I mean, you might've had a couple of summer jobs or something, but chances are you're not, you know, ready to like rule the world quite yet. Yeah, probably not. Well, awesome. Thank you for those two questions. I really love those. Um, I'm thinking at this point in the interview, we can maybe start going through your story, how you got to where you are. Yeah, sure. Uh, I I do think that, you know, my childhood had a huge influence on, on kind of where I am professionally and what I'm doing right now. Um, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family and my parents, you know, had a, my dad had a construction company, mom was in the restaurant business. Um, I, you know, spent a lot of time in restaurants, rolling silverware up, um, just was always around business. And, you know, I had many businesses from like, you know, 
getting in, I got in trouble with this early on business was we had chocolate milk and we had plain milk at school and my parents gave me the money up front for my milk. So I bought up all the chocolate milk and then I would sell it at like double the price until I got called into like sister Barbara's office to say that this was unacceptable. Um, (laughs) You know, so I always knew that I was going to be entrepreneurial and early on I was so focused on being rich. Like I really thought I'm going to be really wealthy. Um, I just like knew it. And over time, you know, my, my values have changed. Of course, I still want to earn a good living, but how I kind of came into this social impact company and focused on other stakeholders, not just myself was an, you know, an interesting journey. And, um, it took a couple of kind of turns and I guess your audience might really appreciate hearing, uh, you know, I applied, out of high school to a lot of schools. And I got into every school, including some really elite schools, except one school. I didn't get into Loyola Marymount University. And um, I ultimately remember going to a graduation and I heard this guy who was the president of the school, Father Lawton, talk about how, you know, up to this point, you've had this opportunity to be selfish, to come here and to learn and to grow. But now it's your responsibility to go out and share that with the world. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And also they didn't accept me. So I'm totally going to graduate from LMU within four years. So I got a job at an ad agency. I started on the top floor and just kind of went downstairs and handed out my resume. Um, Eventually got to a floor with somebody that I actually know, which was interesting. And they were like, yeah, we'd love to give you a job. And I worked there and then I went to junior college at night and worked full time. And I actually gained a ton of work experience and that was super valuable. And ultimately I transferred to LMU and, and then um, while I was there, I worked at the center for service and action. And basically that's, uh, you know, a center that that's about creating, you know, just men and women within four others. And so took a lot of different shapes, like service projects and different things. But I was really interested in community-based learning, which essentially took the business school that I was going to and gave us projects to take on, you know, in, in different nonprofits. And um, ultimately, I worked with a group of people. I was introduced um, by my now wife, but then friend to uh, in East Los Angeles to undocumented immigrants. And we helped build an English learning program for the Spanish speaking population. And I started to really kind of understand how business and service could be kind of fused together. And you could kind of develop something out of that. Um, And uh, yeah, and then kind of one thing led to another. and, And then I got into you know, other things after college, but, but that's sort of like the, the basis of, of what kind of brought me forward. And through that process kind of taught me about how all the various aspects of my backstory in my life could, could lend itself into what it is that I'm doing today. So you mentioned a speaker at a college graduation that said something that really struck you and changed the way you looked at things. And I'm wondering what other mentors you had along your path, um, even post-college, and what did you learn from them? Yeah, mentorship has been a really, really powerful tool for me. Um, I actually have like a personal board of advisors. It's something that 
you know, whether or not they know that they're a part of it depends on whether I tell them, but uh, I look for like a diverse set of people who have, who have had the experiences that I think might blend well into giving me some, some great advice. Um, so I have had a lot of mentors uh, right, right after college. It was some of them were college professors that really stood out to me. They were accessible at the time. Um, but as I've moved through life, I've always, I've always paid attention to, you know, who can I meet and what, you know, and just by being curious, you get, you ask thoughtful questions and then people take an interest in you and then they're willing to help you out. Like most people are willing to help people out who are interested, um, in, in that. And so, yeah, I've just kind of been really intentional about writing handwritten cards to, to those people, um, you know, when I meet them and thank them and check in with them and share wins and losses with them. And, um, yeah, at this point I probably have about six people who I would consider mentors and some of them have built and sold companies. Others have taken nonprofits from 30 million to hundred million. Others have, um, you know, our elite performance athletes that I think I can get something out of, um, in terms of like the way that they approach and think about things. So, yeah, I just always kind of think about, you know, what are a diverse set of people who have gone through some interesting, uh, you know, things in life and what can I get out of that? Um, and that's sort of the approach I take with that. I love that you said that you have a personal board of advisors and that they maybe don't even know that they're on that board. <laughs> that's fantastic. So these same like six mentors, they're helping you like professionally and also in other aspects of your life. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, but it's people that I sort of have a formal like check-in with where, uh, whether that's like quarterly or, you know, semi-annually or weekly, whatever it is where, um, yeah, where I kind of think about, okay, like for the next couple of years, I think this is a relationship that I want to be really intentional about it. Somebody that I want to share my strategy with and, um, and ask them to poke holes and ask them what they think and what blind spots do I have and what am I not seeing and mm -hmm. how do I hone and develop and get better at that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of, I think if I were, I mean, the process that I would be thinking about if I were a recent graduate would just be, or soon to be graduate I, is, you know, make a list of people that you think have really interesting stories, have shared with you something that you think you could learn from. Pretty much you can learn from almost anybody <laughs> who's gone through things that you haven't gone through. And I would say that that's really important, picking people who have varied experiences, things that aren't the same perspective that you have. So that's really helped me, um, you know, kind of evolve as a person and move from being focused on, like I said early on, just being as rich as possible to kind of, yeah, living a rich, fulfilled life, I think is, it, it's the direct result of a diverse amount of people yeah. thinking. So these mentor relationships, this board of advisors, um, 
this is mostly relationships driven by you where you pick someone and you say, okay, I want to learn from you. And so every couple months you just call them up and say, let's have lunch. Is that basically how it works? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And then in COVID it's phone calls or text messages or whatever, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. It's, uh, it's just like intentionally checking in and expressing gratitude and, um, yeah, you'd be surprised what people are willing to do if you just ask, you know, it's <laughs> most people will help out and do different things I find. Well, that is a really cool personal practice. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Um, and while we're still talking kind of about your story, I, I read an article on LinkedIn about your experience living in a van while you were in college. And I'm wondering if you could share with us um, some things you learned from that experience. Oh yeah, totally. Um, forgot, forgot about that when I was sharing background a bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I, like I kind of shared, I, I'm sort of the type of person where if told no, I'm really excited to just get to yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, by the time I finished my junior year of college, because I had worked full time, I didn't qualify for FAFSA. I was like a financially independent person and they were taking into account what I had earned the previous year. And so essentially I had scholarship money, um, because of academics and different things like that, that covered tuition, but there really was not, housing was not really an option. So, um, it was like either finish, finish school or not in the four-year goal. So, um, again, my now, my now partner, uh, but at the time, yeah, friend, we, we converted, a van that like a delivery van that her, her parents had for their business into a, essentially a place that I could sleep. Um, and I parked on campus and uh, yeah, it was a very interesting and humbling experience. I think in some ways it's, you know, when I think about what's happening right now in the world and I, you know, and I see a lot of people are, 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 without a house and, and are forced to, you know, sleep outside or do whatever they have to do. I think even then I, within the spectrum, I was really privileged. I was, you know, at a school where I could shower and I could eat and I could go to work and do things that I was relatively safe. Uh, although nervous all the time that I was going to get caught because I guess it was illegal to sleep out of the car. But in terms of, in terms of, what I learned, I mean, I feel like how it applies to what I do and how, you know, business is, I feel like I learned a lot about empathy during that year. And that's really an important skill because as you grow and you develop and you become successful, it's really important to be rooted and grounded that not everybody has the same life experience and that, you know, you might not you might be in a place to support other people. Um, and it's important because people supported me during that time frame. Uh, I also think like stick to and just hard work. Like, again, it makes it sound like I'm on patronizing or something, but most young people come in thinking I'm going to run the company and I should make six figures and I should have five weeks off and all those things are cool, but like really not real um, for most people. So I think learning that, life is hard and things are going to come your way that are difficult. It's really important to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep going after your goal. At least for myself, that was, that was a huge lesson learned um, from that year of, of living out of my car. And 
And then ultimately too, it's just like resourcefulness is super, super important when you're professionally going through life. And um, yeah, I think it had a pretty big influence basically on what I do today and, and um, how I do it. And I think it, it helps remind me when I, when I think, gosh, like, I don't know that I want somebody sleeping outside my door or like in their car on my street in Portland at a home that I own, it's a real struggle. Cause then I'm reminded like, oh, there was a time when I also was in that position. So how can I be both like realistic and deal with these emotions of, ah, I don't want someone sleeping outside of my door to what are they going through? What can I do to try and help the systemic problems that are, you know, leading to houselessness in our community? So yeah, little context there. That is such a cool story. And I love that when you were faced with that challenge of not being able to afford housing, um, I don't know, I feel like what I would have done would have been just to like take classes from home, especially now when that's such an easy option. (laughs) Um, But I just love that you were so stubborn. You were like, I want to graduate from this school and I want to do it in four years, even if it means I have to live out of my car. Yeah, I think you just described the version of a workaround, right? I mean, that was a workaround for me. There was, for other reasons, I wasn't really able to to live at home at that point or what you kind of think of as home. So um, yeah, so it's just, it, it's all about workarounds, yeah. <laughs> so I have a couple other questions. Um, how much of the success that you've had would you say is the result of personal relationships and how much is the result of education? I think education, like I've already said, is important, right? Like I think college teaches you or education in general is it teaches you how to critically read, think and write um, to be exposed to other people, other thoughts, um, ask good questions. But at the end of the day, like for me, I would say probably 90% is interpersonal relationships i i'm very fortunate in that i'm rarely i i'm i'm pretty bright and studied and whatnot but i'm not the smartest person but i'm usually it's hard to be out outwork me um but i'm very very fortunate that like for me uh it's very easy to talk to people it's really easy to um to form deep personal relationships with people and that are reciprocal and that, uh, you know, almost to a fault sometimes, uh, I'll put others, you know, before things that I need to do. And, but at the end, like that has always paid off huge. Um, you know, my sister right now recently graduated with her MSW from, uh, from Boston college and, or Boston university. And I think, you know, they're really struggling to, to find work. Maybe like some of the people listening to this and uh, they're going about it and applying for jobs. And, and that's really hard. Like literally every job I've ever gotten is because I've known somebody. So I did informational interviews. I um, asked people, you know, who else should I be talking with? Um, And that has led to a lot of my success. And I think, for me, it's, it's pretty much like 90, if not more percent of, of why, you know, I am where I am today. So what advice would you offer 
people who are in that situation of either looking for a job or just trying to figure out what it is they want to do, um, what kind of advice would you give as far as like practices or habits that could help them start developing those positive relationships? Well, first and foremost, I would say go out and get the book, What Color Is Your Parachute? It is a book of self-discovery. It's a really, really awesome book for just trying to figure out what the hell you want to do. Um, the other thing I would do is, you know, when you're younger, like you have an opportunity to be bold and to take big risk, like how much you make your first couple of years really doesn't matter. Honestly, it's going to matter less then than it does for the rest of your life. Even if you're yoked by student loans and I was certainly, um, you know, in that position, it's so important that you work somewhere where you are going to have a strong mentor, someone who cares about you as a person who you can, who will push you, who will take, uh, you know, so when you, when you compare that, what colors your parachute, it really helps you define your vision, your personal mission statement. And I think that's really important to know what kind of person you want to be and what kind of professional you want to be. And then you can go to, an interview or a job and look for something that will help get you to that end state. And you can be really clear with somebody. And if you work for somebody who cares about you, who gives you, who pushes you hard um, early on, you're just in a, in a way you're, you're getting to invest in yourself um, and to do it when the stakes are really low. Uh, And so I think that's, that's kind of where I would recommend starting. Um, and then if, if you're in a position and you can do something like postgraduate service where like you go for a year after college and you work, you know, you live in community, you work for free, you're paid a small stipend for living cost, it will give you both professional experience, um, but it'll give you some space to do some self-discovery to, uh, it might lead to you developing empathy and that I think is a really critical skill um, in in kind of an under underrated uh, strength of people. Um, so I don't know. I would take steps like that and just kind of be bold with with what you're doing and but intentional. And I think that's that's also really kind of important. It takes time to develop your own path and to be intentional about it. So I have never gotten the advice um, to go and do like a post-grad service thing. Would you mind going into a little detail what that might look like? Yeah, totally. I, I didn't actually do post-grad service, but uh, but my partner did. And she, you know, basically signed up for a volunteer service where she spent a year living in, in community in Camden, New Jersey and working in a school of, of uh, you know, just people who have it really, really hard life. Um, and yeah, I think it was hard. You know, there was a lot of times when I'm sure she, you know, might share that, wow, this was really hard day. Um, but ultimately it gave her some professional work experience and you can have a lot of different job placements. Some, you can work in a medical facility, you can work in, um, in college. Like I led a group of students and on an alternative breaks trip. So instead of going to like Cancun and I don't know, doing whatever you do there. We went to East Los, or uh, we went to, we went to hmm, New York City and worked with HIV AIDS and 
uh, uh, houseless community there. And, you know, so it's like looking for opportunities like that, or it's Peace Corps or something like that, or AmeriCorps, um, you can, you can kind of begin to develop your professional work experience, but in an environment that is, uh, you know, really intentionally focused on developing, you know, empathy, basically. Yeah. So um, if you were to go do something like that, how would you recommend um, then marketing yourself um, as a job applicant saying like, okay, here's what I did and here's what I learned from it. Yeah. I mean, you basically have a job. I mean, you have a job with clear expectations. Like, so you have a year of work experience. So I think depending on what that specific, you know, role was, um, how you market that is, you know, talking about it, like, like a job, um, Mm -hmm. and, and really talking being open and honest about the experience. I mean, you're, everyone's going to go through it and it's going to be, it'll lead to something different for everybody. Um, I don't think I'd change up the way I approached it. Just like we started this conversation talking about um, kind of framing it up as like, what can I do for you Mm -hmm. is a really good way to approach an interview. And then, you know, pulling from your work experience and post-grad experience can be, really just giving concrete examples to what you mean when you say, this is what I can do to, mm-hmm. to help lighten your burden. Awesome. Well, I would also love to hear um, how your career and your business was affected this past year by the t- pandemic. What kind of things you learned or changed during that time? Yeah, the pandemic was, uh, it's kind of interesting because most of these, these, these setbacks or moments of difficulty have also kind of been these catapults for for growth and success it's sort of like you know when you're working out or something you're you're like tearing down muscle and then building it up stronger i think when the pandemic first hit uh it was you know pretty scary and that 65 percent of our the nonprofits that we were under contract with you know canceled their contracts overnight um or postponed them but we you know we immediately came up with a battle plan and really thought about okay how can we lean into our experience? Uh, Bobby and I, who I work with really closely, we helped build Team Rubicon, a disaster response organization. So we kind of knew how to respond in a crisis. So we came up with a plan. We dug in deep. We worked 96 hours, you know, a week for, for months straight. And we leaned into how can we help solve problems for organizations? So we put on free trainings for the CARES Act, PPP funding, which is payroll protection program um, that for nonprofits, we, we, we did some really cool work. Um, Like for example, uh, in the Teton Valley, which is essentially where the people live who service the billionaires who live in Jackson hole. um, Essentially uh, this organization, the community resource center of Teton Valley does cash distributions. And um, before the pandemic, they would get about two, requests for grants a week. Uh, Basically people who needed help paying their electric bill or whatever, their rent. And when the pandemic hit, their request went up to hundreds a week and they had one social worker working full time there. So we built a program in a four day design sprint that essentially uh, helped to process those applications in English and Spanish in real time and to prioritize who could receive a grant dependent upon need. Um, 
we did another project and another four day design sprint that basically, you know, there were 4,800 shelters that were being forced to close across the country and euthanize animals. Um, because of the pandemic, they just couldn't staff these, these shelters. Mm -hmm. And so we built a, you know, a system for people to sign up to foster these animals and, uh, get matched with the shelters and, and ultimately we matched 96,000 of those fosters to shelters and that led to more work um, with those organizations. They become became long-term clients of ours. And so I would say that, you know, when a disaster strikes like a global pandemic, it's absolutely gonna disrupt what you do and how you do it. But what's important is to to remain focused, to like take a, take stock of your situation, come up with an action plan, and then immediately put that plan into action. Um, stay true to like your values, stay true to your core. But um, for those businesses that sat back or those employees or those people who kind of didn't take intentional steps to evolve how they are, marketing themselves or the value that they're giving the community, I think are really suffering right now. But those businesses that were able to adapt, those individuals, those employees, those are the ones that are really kind of in a better, stronger position today than they probably were before the pandemic. And I'm very fortunate to say that I think we, you know, we are, we've actually grown through it. So that's, yeah, that's a little bit about the, how the pandemic hit our business. I love how you were able to find opportunity in the disaster. Like, okay, there's really hard things happening and they're happening fast. Like the shelters and the community resource center, like that's an emergency. Those requests are coming in and they don't have enough people to handle it. Um, and so when you said a four day design sprint, I'm imagining that's just like your entire team putting all of your focus into solving this problem for like four days straight. Am I correct in, in that understanding? Yeah, totally. A, a design sprint essentially is day one, you whiteboard what the heck you're trying to solve for. Day two, you build a prototype. Day three, you test that prototype. You see if it's working to solve that problem. And day four, you hand it off to the client, essentially. Um, so we use design sprints to rapidly or just quickly deploy solutions um, in market. It's, it's actually a for-profit kind of technology uh, process that we repurposed for nonprofits to be able to, uh, to you know, just get stuff done quickly. That is so exciting. Like, and that's an opportunity that came about because of this sudden change where suddenly, like, the way things were yesterday and the way things are today, it's completely different. Um, and it's so cool that you were able to go in and provide a solution so quickly and so effectively. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a really cool, it was really awesome. And I think our team, you know, is incredibly talented and we're really fortunate to have, uh, I'm really fortunate to work alongside some amazing, amazing people. And I think, you know, it's, that's what I meant about kind of figuring out what you're going to do, you know, like best we all know for sure, we've got one go at it here. And I think it's important to kind of take stock of that. And that is a huge opportunity and, yeah, you can do something with that. You can do something with your life. And 
yeah, I can tell you that we're actually really good friends with both of those clients. And those are just two of like a dozen examples of what we did in the pandemic. And I think that's what's really fun about it is you solve really hard problems by dedicating your time and your talent and, and your passion. And, and what comes out of it is deep, deep relationships and richness in a different kind of way. Um, and that's, that's cool. That's, I think that's cooler than like trading stocks or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, and also like at the end of the day, there's people out there who are able to pay their electric bill because of the solution they provided. And there's animals that are not dead (laughs) because of that solution that you provided. And that just must be really rewarding for you to be able to do that. It is definitely rewarding. (laughs) Awesome. Well, are there any other stories or thoughts that you would like to share before we kind of wrap up? Yeah, I guess, I guess in terms of what I would hope that somebody listening to this would kind of take from this, from my experience, you know, is, is that, um, yeah, life is, life is an opportunity and there's a responsibility to do something with your life and the challenges that we're all working to solve for, um, be it big audacious ones that may be even impossible like climate change or small ones like, you know, uh, I don't know, like how, how does this person that I just crossed at the grocery store, like feed their family today? I think, I think it's, they're all so big that you have to do it with other people. And I would say just take time to be intentional about, your next step. It's so important. The first job is the hardest one to land. It gets really easy after that, I promise. But that first one kind of can set you on a course for what you're going to spend your life doing. And there are a bunch of people quitting and all that because of the pandemic. But in reality, I think if you have a vision for the kind of person you want to be and the kind of impact you want to have on the world, you can take pause and think very carefully about what type of environment is going to help you get there. And um, with that, I think gravity of that, it comes this enormous opportunity and responsibility. So yeah, I feel like if you've made it this far in this podcast, then uh, yeah, you're investing in yourself and you're thinking about these things. So I think that's, that's pretty cool and best of luck to you. Thank you so much for all of your stories and your advice. I'm really glad that I got to learn from you today, and I really appreciate you coming on um, and doing this podcast with me. Cool. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. This has been an episode of the Rainmakers Roadmap Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. Also, feel free to reach out with any questions you may have for people I'm interviewing or ideas of different careers that I can reach out to to try and get an interview. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.